0: From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Welcome to Washington Watch. My name is Joseph Backholm. I am sitting in for Tony today. So glad that you have joined us. A couple of reminders for you: you can find the program at TonyPerkins.com. I encourage you to do so. If you ever miss an episode of Washington Watch, you can catch it there. In addition, I want to remind you of an exciting opportunity to stand for faith. Family and freedom right now. This is the year end for the Family Research Council, and you have an opportunity to, between now and June 30th, have your gift doubled up to $1 million between now and June 30th at the end of the fiscal year. And you can continue championing biblical values in Washington, D.C., and help us finish the fiscal year strong. Call 800 225 4008. Or visit TonyPerkins.com to make your gift now. Again, the number is 800-225-4008 or TonyPerkins.com. Today on the program, a number of issues we're going to be discussing. What will President Biden be discussing with Vladimir Putin this week? He's about to have a summit, and we are going to find out more about that. Why have two Nevada counties declared themselves to be constitutional counties? What is a constitutional county? We are going to discuss that as well. The end of the program. Who is more likely to cancel someone? A conservative, a liberal, a man or a woman. We're going to discuss that, that and the results of a recent survey at the end of the program. We are also going to discuss with Congressman Andy Biggs the hearings that happened today in the House Oversight Committee. There was another discussion on Capitol Hill um, about the January 6th events. It's, I think, the third or fourth such hearing that the House Democrats have held. What's the purpose of those hearings? Is it political? Or are they actually trying to find something? That's the conversation that we are going to have earlier in the day up on over at Capitol Hill. The House Oversight Committee had a hearing in which they brought um, the head of the FBI to Congress once again. To ask them questions that they largely are not allowed to answer because it's an ongoing investigation. Why do they continue to have these uh, conversations in Washington, D.C., when there are actually some real issues that need to be discussed? Um, one of the crisis issues um, that the country is dealing with as Congress in, in, is, is have they just finished a recess back in their home districts and they came back uh, into town trying to deal with some of the issues that Americans are thinking about. And ranking member James Comer began the hearing today discussing and making the point that the primary issue that he heard from in his district was the lack of the ability to find employees. Employers are ready to get back to business. They're ready to get back to work, but they cannot find people to take the jobs that they are offering. Why is this? Uh, And and, and he's expressed his frustration uh, with the fact that on Capitol Hill, uh, they are having conversations once again, inquiring about the events of January 6th, rather than trying to figure out how can we get people back to work? Is that really the priorities of the American public or is that the priority of the Democratic Party for political purposes? It's a valid question. That's what they're talking about on Capitol Hill uh, today, and the hearing didn't seem to produce much new information, and we are hoping to have uh, Congressman Biggs on with us in a little bit uh, and to have that conversation. Now, in addition, um, Congressman Biggs has introduced, and we want to discuss this with him as well, uh, a resolution uh, to label the national debt a matter of national security. And we've heard a national security in this term thrown around a lot lately. In fact, President Biden uh, made the point that national security, that the number one uh, national security issue, according to the CIA, he has been told, is uh, white supremacy or actually was climate change. That He said the greatest threat to our national security was climate change. Congressman Biggs has introduced a resolution not saying that the greatest threat to national security is, in fact, the national debt, but trying to get Congress to recognize that our national debt is, in fact, a matter of national security. And uh, we are trying to get him on the phone at the moment and so we can have a conversation with him to get a little bit more information about that. In addition, uh, one of the developments this week in Washington, D.C., Nancy Pelosi has changed the mask rules for members of Congress. Now, for uh, several months, some of the first American citizens to get their vaccines were, of course, members of Congress. Yet, despite the fact that they have been vaccinated for months, we've had a situation where Nancy Pelosi, uh, is still requiring members, her has been requiring members of the uh, House of Representatives to wear masks while on the House. That has just changed, and we're hoping uh, to get to him, to, uh, to Congressman Biggs, and, and we're going to have that conversation. But first, um, in a bit of an audible here, earlier today, President Biden arrived in Geneva ahead of his highly anticipated meeting tomorrow with Russian President Vladimir Putin, whom he called a worthy adversary on Monday. After delivering remarks to close out the G7 summit on Sunday, President Biden was asked about what he would do differently when it came to putin and he suggested that working together with Russia could be the way forward
1: there 's a lot going on where um, we could work together with Russia, for example uh, in uh, in Libya, we should be opening up the, the 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 passes to be able to go through and provide uh, provide uh, um, food assistance and economic, assi- I mean, vital assistance to uh, a population that's in real trouble. I think I'm going to try very much hard to, uh, it, it is, and by the way, there's places where, I shouldn't be starting off and negotiating in public here, but let me say it this way. Russia has engaged in activities which are, we believe, are contrary to international norms, But
0: they have also um, uh, bitten off some real problems they're going to have trouble chewing on. Noting the president's recent comments and his actions since taking office, many are wondering if Biden will stand up to Putin or if he will do something else. Well, with me now to talk about this is Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin, FRC's executive director, executive vice president and former commander of the U.S. Army's Delta Force. General, welcome back to the program. Thank
2: you very much, Jonathan. Good to be with you.
0: So what is your assessment of of the Biden-Putin meetings? What are you expecting to happen as a result of these?
2: Yeah, well, first of all, I think we need to establish that this is uh, this is a very important time, and uh, a dialogue with uh, with the Russians is, uh, I, I think, uh, very important to the security, not only of uh, the, the two nations involved, but to the whole world. So I'm in favor of dialogue. My concern is that uh, I don't know that the president is ready for this dialogue. I'm not sure that he's ready to meet Putin one-on-one uh, and standing on his own to uh, be able to to negotiate uh, anything with putin uh putin is a is a, a very shrewd man, and he has demonstrated that and I think that it uh, it goes without saying that uh, up to this point uh, what he has seen from uh, our president has been weakness, particularly as it relates to uh, relieving the sanctions so that uh, they could build the pipeline into uh, germany and i I hope that our president is ready for this uh, for this meeting.
0: In an op ed uh, published earlier today, former secretary of state Mike Pompeo said that Biden is showing up to his meeting uh, with Putin, quote, with a self dealt weak hand that could have been much stronger. What do you think he meant by that?
2: Well, uh, again, we'll go back to uh, the fact that uh, Putin has not responded of the last two major uh, cyber attacks, the one on our fuel system as well as the one on our our beef. And uh, he also has lifted those sanctions so that uh, you can make a substantial portion of Russia totally dependent upon, I mean, a, a substantial portion of Europe totally dependent upon Russia. That's not a good thing. That's not a good thing for the Europeans to be depending on Russia for their energy supplies, and, and Biden has permitted that to happen. So I think that that's the hand that uh, Mike Pompeo is talking about. He's dealt that hand to himself, uh, and I think that now is the time when he, if, if he's going to make a substantial difference on the relationship between America and the Russians, uh, he has to turn uh, in a different direction and let Putin know that he means business, he's serious, and that we're not going to put up with this anymore. We're not going to put up with any more of these cyber attacks without a major retaliation. And uh, and, and he, Putin simply has to know that he's dealing with a man that actually has some magma That is not what Putin has seen to this point.
0: What would a president or what could President Biden do that would communicate to Putin that he is serious about these and intends to uh, hold Russia accountable? What are some of the things that that the U.S. government could be doing to do that?
2: Well, first of all, I think that the U.S. government could be uh, rallying our NATO allies. That's a very important thing for us to do. Rally our allies, get them on our sides. And that includes Germany. And then the second thing is reimpose those sanctions and stop this pipeline. Stop this Nord Stream 2 pipeline from being built uh, because that makes us, as well as our European allies, more vulnerable. And then the third thing is slap slap sanctions. On, uh, I think the Russian economy cannot withstand long-term sanctions. Uh, you know, the oligarchs might be making some money, but the average Russian is going to be in a hurt uh, when we slam with uh, additional sanctions. And I think that's exactly what he needs to do. But he needs to do it for more than the effect of it. He needs to do it because we need to send a message to Vladimir Putin that we are not going to continue to allow him to do the things that he's done, particularly in cyberspace.
0: Now, we're having some connection issues, but I, I think we've resolved them here. What is uh, is there anything that you think Putin is doing differently now as a result of the change in administration?
2: Oh I think he's accelerating his attacks on america I think that uh I think that what you're seeing now uh is an acceleration of the very tactics that he uh he wanted to use in the in the trump administration and did use a couple of times. I think the difference was that Trump did come back to him and keep in mind that that trump's uh Trump's reaction to Putin, uh, generally speaking, was pretty, pretty significant. Now, what Putin is looking at, too, is the fact that when Joe Biden was the vice president, the vice president, uh, the Russians took Crimea and and the uh, administration did absolutely nothing. And Joe Biden is supposed to be a, uh, a foreign affairs guru. Remember, he talked about that, that that. Uh, Obama would be tested by some nation, and he needed somebody like him that had a foreign affairs background. Well, that foreign affairs degree is not uh, serving him well right now. He needs to he needs to go back to the fundamentals, and uh, and and stand strong in these negotiations. Now we need these negotiations. You know the Russians are still ahead of us in short range nuclear weapons. We need to remember that. So it needs to be ultimately some uh, some some negotiations with regards to uh, disarmament uh to reduction of uh the number of warheads and that type of thing but uh i'm, I'm not sure that putin's up to it right now he's not demonstrating
0: that. general boykin we are out of time but we greatly appreciate your time and joining us today and we look forward to the next conversation
2: good to be with you
0: and when we come back we will be talking to congressman biggs about what happened in washington dc today State
3: What is Roe v Wade and what did it do? The Supreme Court's 1973 decision ruled that abortion is protected under the. US Constitution, striking down many state abortion restrictions and severely limiting the extent to which states could write their own abortion laws. The Supreme Court's limitations on states to legislate abortion restrictions depends on the trimester of a pregnancy. For instance, Roe disallows states from restricting abortions in the first trimester, but allows some restrictions on abortions in the third trimester. What Roe doesn't do is require states to have any restrictions. Abortion through all nine months of pregnancy is the default, unless Congress or the individual states pass laws restricting it. That leaves a lot of room for unrestricted abortions. For a full explanation of how Roe v. Wade liberalized abortion laws, go to frc.org explainer. That's frc.org explainer. After the recent wave of media censorship, are you struggling to find a conservative, relevant, and Christian platform where you can find out what's really going on? Here at Family Research Council, we believe that Americans have a right to exercise their freedom of speech and share their stories with the world. If you're ready to hear the facts that the left doesn't want you to know about, Then head over to frcblog.com to check out our latest blog posts. We cover a wide range of issues you and your family care about, all written by our policy, government affairs, and biblical worldview experts. We discuss topics that other media platforms won't, like changes in pro-life policy, current events that affect Christians internationally, sexuality from a biblical perspective, and insights into the bigger picture of the shift in American culture. To stay up-to-date on current news related to faith, family, and freedom, visit FRCblog.com. That's FRCblog.com.
4: Would you like to spend more time in God's Word? Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible with their Stand on the Word Bible reading plan. FRC's two-year Bible reading plan helps you to approach daily Bible reading with an intentional focus of diving deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into cultural issues. By studying the Bible, we can see the grandeur of God unfold throughout the past. This reading plan takes you through the Bible as events happen in history. Laying out the scripture every day in an engaging manner, it is key to helping us stay grounded in God's truth. All wisdom comes from God, and he has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. Start reading today with Family Research Council. When you sign up, we text you every Sunday with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey, visit frc.org. bible.
0: Welcome back to Washington Watch. Joseph Backholm sitting in for Tony. Earlier today, the House Oversight Committee and uh, the House Committee on Oversight and Reform held its second hearing on the events of January 6th. Ranking member James Comer opened the hearing by accusing Democrats of holding a partisan show hearing that's unlikely to uncover any new information. Under the leadership of Democrats, this committee is not about finding the truth. It's not about conducting meaningful oversight. It's only about
2: politics. It's pastime Democrats to get back to this committee's mission of identifying and preventing government waste, fraud, abuse, and mismanagement, and ensuring the federal government is effective, efficient, transparent, and accountable to the American people. Today's partisan hearing fails our committee's mission. The American people deserve answers about the attack on the U.S. Capitol and expect transparency and accountability from their leaders. But sadly, today's hearing shows Democrats continue to prioritize
0: politics over the American people. With me now to talk about the hearing is Congressman Andy Biggs from Arizona, who serves on the House committee. Congressman, welcome back to Washington Watch.
5: Thanks, Joseph. Good to be with you.
0: We heard the remarks of uh, ranking member Comer there. What was your reaction to the hearing today?
5: Well, my remarks focused on uh, if you really want to get to the truth, they've got to be lying to the American people. That they've distorted January 6th and the events of January 6th and tried to make them the narrative. Uh, It it is a ridiculous, um, false narrative that they've created, and it's done for political purpose. That's what I think. and I showed um, instance after instance where they have lied to different people that are demonstrable. So that, that's really what I was trying to get at is you want the truth, quit lying.
0: Can you give us some examples of what you said during the committee today of, of the dishonesty that you've seen?
5: Yeah, absolutely. So pre-January 6th, they, they lied about Lafayette Park that, that Trump had it cleared so he could get a, a photo. The inspector general said No. Uh, everything done, uh, that, that that was just a fabrication and a lie. So one thing pre and then uh, when we started getting to January 6th, they've they've said they actually used as part of their impeachment. They said that Trump supporters came into the Capitol and killed a police officer with a fire extinguisher by bludging him in the head. They, that's that was page 28 of the their pretrial memo. The reality is that never happened. That was just a lie, a fabrication, and the media helped them concoct it. So those are two things right there. And and there's a whole series of things. The zip tie guy, uh, that's not true. I mean, even the the prosecutor in that case wrote a memo to the judge saying, no, he did not come into the Capitol with zip ties. Uh, The Department of Justice uh, official said there is no evidence that anybody uh, was trying to have uh, find and kill or assassinate anybody. But that's all you hear about from the Democrats, and it's being done because they're not being questioned on it enough.
0: And I think the motives for why you would want to misrepresent the events of that day and make them bigger than they may in fact be are pretty clear. It's a great opportunity for them to try to demonize their political opponents as not simply political opponents, but dangerous people to the safety of our country. Um, But this is one of many hearings that have happened on – on Capitol Hill that have asked the public to focus on the events of, of January 6th. Are we learning anything new in these repeated hearings?
5: Well, you're not learning much except for you are learning that, that, uh, Director Ray said he can't call it an insurrection because it didn't meet the legal definition of an insurrection. And he's also identified that most of the people that were here were peaceful and that uh, uh, there were some people here that were just milling around. They they violated trespass laws, but there was a small group of people that caused all the violence and the problems. So, so So you're actually starting to get some of that truth out there. But uh, you're not reading that in the, the, the press on the left. You're not seeing it on TV. And and certainly the Democrats are ignoring that.
0: Well, I want to switch gears uh, for a moment because another, it, it's a minor, but it might be a significant thing. Uh, Nancy Pelosi has changed the mask rules at the House of Representatives. What has changed? Have the facts changed that led her to change the rules? Or was something else going on there?
5: No you know it's hard to say what her motivations are i mean we 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 simply just don't know what what goes through her mind i mean the science is pretty clear you you don't need to to find out if somebody's uh, inoculated because of the shot guess what supposedly they're not going to get the the covid again so it doesn't matter whether you had the shot or not you shouldn't you don't have to wear masks um in an environment such as ours and so I, I don't know. It's it's just for her this has always been about control and um and that's that's where they are. They're still trying to control us and you're seeing this uh on institutions uh throughout the country and, and it's it's a crying shame that we've seen so of our freedom be attacked because of, of uh the the abuse of COVID COVID rules.
0: One other issue that you are leading on, you have introduced a resolution to uh, clarify or to say that the national debt is a matter of national security. Why is it that you think that? What's motivated you to do that?
5: Well, first of all, because there's just a handful of us that actually care about the national debt here. And and most people here now believe in that that it's not a problem at all, so they can just spend as much as they want. But you're seeing the impacts of inflation when you spend wildly and crazy. The second thing is um, the the debt and the interest that we pay on it is is starting to crowd out uh, normal government functions that we would otherwise uh, have a- assets and revenue to pay for. And if inflation continues, and if there's a measure by the Fed to re- increase the prime interest rate. That means that, that at half a point, you could almost doubt how much we're paying. That means that you have a national security issue that you have to take care of. You don't have the funds to deal with it. And the second thing is, you actually start, uh, we've we're started the devaluation of our currency. All of because uh, we go with national debt, uh, it's just outrageous.
0: If it is such a big issue, why is it not getting more attention on the Hill?
5: Because everybody, except for a few of us, like to spend as much money as they can.
0: Well, I, I think that's the short but sadly correct answer. answer. Uh, Congressman Andy Biggs, thank you so much for your time and your efforts on the Hill for all of us. Appreciate it. Thanks, Joseph. Thank you. And it is. I mean, his, his answer to that was, uh, was succinct but powerful. Um, people like to spend money. It gets you votes in Washington, D.C., but it doesn't necessarily get you good policy. We are going to continue to talk about some good policy. We're going to go to Nevada. Rural counties in Nevada have declared themselves to be constitutional counties. What does that mean? Are they starting a trend? We'll talk about it from one of the county commissioners leading the efforts in Nevada. After the break, come on back.
3: Where do you get your news? Do you have confidence you're getting the full truth? If you want to stay up to date on conservative news and are looking for Christian resources to help you stay politically engaged, then download Family Research Council's Stand Firm app. With all of our content available at your fingertips, you will conveniently be able to stay up to date throughout your busy day. The Stand Firm app will give you access to a variety of resources, such as our most recent radio programs, social media posts, and publications. Additionally, you will have the opportunity to take action and make your voice heard by contacting your elected officials on the issues that most concern you. Visit the App Store on your smartphone or mobile device and search Stand Firm to download Family Research Council's official Stand Firm app. Stay informed with a trusted source. Again, search Stand Firm to download the Stand Firm app.
6: As the political and cultural landscape of our nation has shifted in a concerning direction, it is so important for Christians to be equipped with biblical answers for the difficult questions of our time. That is why Family Research Council created our Biblical Worldview series. With the political left changing definitions to favor their narrative and to push their agenda, at times it can be hard to decipher what is true. That is why we must hold to the truth of the Bible, which stands the test of time. It holds the truth that does not change. Become equipped to stand firm in the face of cultural and political storms with FRC's Biblical Worldview series. This series dives deep into what the Bible says about some of the most crucial issues of our day. You'll learn what the Bible teaches on abortion, same-sex marriage, the separation of church and state, religious freedom, and the age-old question, should Christians be involved in politics? To access this series, visit frc.org worldview. That's frc.org
0: worldview. Welcome back to Washington Watch, Joseph Backhol. On this program, we have highlighted how a growing number of counties and cities have become sanctuary cities for the unborn. Well, we might be on the verge of seeing another movement as two counties in Nevada recently became constitutional counties, where the rights of citizens will be protected from unconstitutional acts by state and federal authorities elected commissioners in Nevada's Elko and Lander counties recently approved resolutions declaring that the Bill of Rights will be upheld in their jurisdictions. With me now to talk about this is one of these commissioners, Elko County Commissioner Rex Steninger. Mr. Steninger, welcome to Washington Watch. Thank you. Well, we are glad to have you. Um, To start this off, tell us What is a constitutional county, as you understand it, and and what motivated you to take this action?
1: Well, a constitutional county would be a county that uh, refuses to accept uh, directives from the governor that that are in violation of of the Constitution. For instance, the the First Amendment guarantees us the right to uh, freely practice our religions and to uh, peacefully assemble the governor or governors across the country told us we had to stay in our houses for for a time. They told us we couldn't gather with our friends. They even told us to close our churches and uh, to not celebrate thanksgiving and and uh, Christmas. Those are all violations of our constitutional rights.
0: How did this movement uh, <laughs> begin in your area? Was this a was this prompted by you on the county Commission? Or was this a public uprising? Did other local authorities join this? How did this get started?
1: Well, I can't. I can't take credit for it. It was our neighbors uh, to the west, Lander County, that began the movement, and they they actually had a rally on May 15th where they celebrated becoming a constitutional county. And I went to that rally, and, and you know, frankly, it was jealousy that prompted me to do it in our county. It was just a great success, and I was sorry we were a little bit late, but a month later we passed our resolution, and we're uh, having a patriotic rally this Sunday, uh, June 20th.
0: Well, imitation is the uh, sincerest form of flattery. I'm sure that your neighbors (laughs) in Lander County are not bothered by that in in the least. What kind of reaction are you getting from the uh, citizens in your county?
1: Oh, it's been overwhelmingly positive, uh, and so impressive. Like at our meeting on June 2nd, uh, we I proposed setting up a fund to collect donations to have this rally on Sunday, and I, I no sooner I don't think we had even voted on uh, forming the fund when our sheriff came up and laid $300 in front of my. Uh, my, my desk there. And following him, the, the Eureka County Sheriff came up and gave me another 100 And then the audience members started to come on up and giving me money. Before it was all over, we collected $1,200 from the members of the audience. And I got home that day, that night, I had an email from another friend who pledged another $500. So it, was, it really has been overwhelming.
0: Have you heard from any other counties in your state or maybe other states that might likewise be inspired uh, to follow your lead?
1: Not yet, but I did uh, the end of May. I I, I sent out an email to every other county commissioner in our state uh, explaining the, the constitutional sheriff's and police officers association and asking them to consider joining. I have not heard back from any of them, but I I hope to.
0: Was it difficult to get the other county commissioners uh, on board with this idea, or was the decision unanimous? Was there opposition? Was it divisive in any way?
1: No, no, it's absolutely unanimous. There was no opposition. Everybody was completely in, in support of it.
0: What do you expect the biggest impact of this to be for the citizens of your county?
1: Well, I hope it uh, prohibits uh, future directives from the governor. I, I, that would be my 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 strongest hope.
0: Speaking of the governor, have have you heard from the state authorities or federal authorities in response to your decision? No, I haven't. Do you expect to? No, I don't. <laughs> We're.
1: We're a unique state. Well, I guess not so unique. I hear other states are that way too, but we're completely controlled by Clark County. Uh, We're we're the rural counties and
0: they don't pay much attention to us. What do you hope is going to be the result of this? Do you have a vision beyond your local county or are you just trying to do the best job you can being a county commissioner?
1: Well, I'm trying to do the best job I can for our county, but but truly, I do hope that this catches on. Like Richard, uh, the former sheriff, Richard Mack, is the founder of the CSPOA. And at the Lander County rally, he said that he wants to retake control of our government one sheriff at a time, sheriff by sheriff, county by county, state by state. And that's what I'm hoping this is the beginning of, is other counties to catch on. And, and even today, I've, I've received emails from as far away as Virginia congratulating us and, and showing interest that they want to do the same thing.
0: Well, Mr. Steninger, this is uh, an, a uniquely American thing that you are doing. We are thankful for you doing it, your leadership, and I appreciate your time sharing with us today. And Godspeed to you out there in Nevada.
1: Well, thank you very
0: much. And and Mr. Steninger really is following the doctrine of the lesser magistrates, which is really how the American Revolution got started. So uh, good for him, and we hope many will follow his lead uh, and become constitutional counties. After the break, Republicans or Democrats, who's more likely to participate in cancel culture? We'll talk about it when we come back.
7: Get a trusted perspective on the news of the day every day listen to washington watch with tony perkins to get honest and in-depth commentary on what's going on in our nation's capital and around the world join family research council president tony perkins live every weekday by tuning into washington watch on the american family radio network Spot Radio, the KTLW Radio Network, and independent Christian radio stations across the country. Or listen to the show when it works for you by visiting TonyPerkins.com.
6: Since the Supreme Court decided Roe v. Wade in 1973, over 60 million people are now missing from our country due to legalized abortion. Public opinion, our knowledge of law, and scientific advancements demonstrate that Roe should by no means be considered settled law. Roe is an abomination in our country's history. And it's time for the horrendous practice of legalized abortion to end. To learn more about the legal, historical, and cultural reasons to overturn Roe v. Wade, go to frc.org Roe.
8: The Equality Act sounds like good legislation and something that ought to have bipartisan support, but it doesn't. Why? Because the Equality Act, paradoxically, would spur inequality. It is Trojan horse legislation that would hinder equality and would massively overhaul our federal civil rights framework. The stated purpose of the bill is to prohibit discrimination on the basis of sex, gender identity, and sexual orientation. The real effect of this bill would not be to eliminate discrimination, but to erase the freedom to hold a different opinion. The Equality Act would mandate government-imposed inequality by requiring acceptance of a particular ideology about sexual ethics, while leaving no room for legitimate public debate. Simply put, the Equality Act mandates an anti-life, anti-family, and anti-faith agenda throughout federal law, and would be a disaster for all Americans. To learn more about the inequality of the Equality Act, visit FRC.org
7: equalityact Equality Act. Since June of 2015, over 12,000 Christians have been killed in Nigeria. This violence has reached a point at which experts are warning of a progressive genocide specifically targeting Christians across Africa's largest and most economically powerful nation. Yet this violence often goes unreported in the media, and, if reported, is seriously downplayed. To learn more about what is actually taking place in Nigeria, along with other countries where Christians face persecution, visit frc.org slash Nigeria.
3: Did you know that Planned Parenthood is the biggest abortion supplier in the U.S.? According to Planned Parenthood's most recent annual report, it committed 354,871 abortions in fiscal year 2019, up by over 9,000 abortions since 2018. According to these numbers, Planned Parenthood aborted 972 babies every single day. To learn more about what Planned Parenthood is really doing, visit frcorg Facts. Welcome back to
0: Washington Watch. Just There's an interesting survey that came out last week from the American Enterprises Survey Center on American Life. The survey was on the state of American friendships, and it found that 15% of Americans have ended a friendship over politics. Breaking this down further, 10% of conservatives say they have ended a friendship over politics, while 28% of liberals said the same. And when you get to extreme conservatives, 22% said they have ended friendships over politics, while a whopping 45% of extreme liberals said the same. So while cancel culture may not be a partisan phenomenon, it seems that it may be more likely on the left than it is on the right. With me now to talk about these findings and this survey, how it fits with what we're seeing in cancel culture is Meg Kilgannon, FRC's senior fellow. For Education Studies Meg, welcome back to the program. Thank you so much Joseph. it's great to be here well there's a lot in here that I want to unpack with you and and I'm going to let you play shrink a little bit um, today because I think that's really what we're trying to understand is how Americans are thinking about things but you know there's there's layers to this study and what it tells us and one of the first things that it tells us the foundation of this is simply how often Americans talk about politics. And it says that only 21% of Americans discuss politics or government with friends a few times a week. Now, that to me is a shockingly small number in light of the world that you and I live in and what we do on a daily basis. The idea that only 21% of Americans are having consistent conversations about this stuff makes me realize that we're weird. But does that mean that the rest of America doesn't care or do they not have, uh, shall we say, a safe space in which to discuss these things?
9: Well, that's an interesting point. I had not considered that question, but I think it's a healthy one to ask. Uh, It's interesting to me as the uh, person who's doing education here that one of the places that you see cancel culture, um, that sort of power exercised so freely is on campuses and in schools. And um, the, the idea that that you would interrupt a relationship with someone over politics is um, really remarkable, especially when you consider what you just said, that most people aren't even talking about politics most of the time, unlike us.
0: Right. And and I think another detail of this, and I'll dig one level deeper, 55% of Americans say that they discuss politics fewer than a few times a month. So more than half of Americans say that it's not even a couple times a month they're discussing politics. So that's basically never. Now, my research hypothesis would be, and I don't believe the study got to that, but my my guess would be that um, college campuses are very different than the American public. But right. um, is it a problem that most Americans simply aren't discussing politics, or is that actually healthy? Are those people happier than we are?
9: Well, they're probably happier or less frustrated than than we might be sometimes. But I think that when you live in a country where you are free, where your rights are guaranteed by a document like our U.S. Constitution, that really is a wonderful, wonderful security that allows people now to not really think about them to not really think about their rights and freedoms because they enjoy them. They don't even realize they're enjoying them, maybe in some cases. They're taken for granted. And so uh, it's probably a sign that basically we're doing a good job in, in the United States of, of having our of, of preserving our freedoms, that so few people discuss them, but it does lead me to worry that maybe that is makes them our freedoms at risk if we take them too much for
0: granted. I think that's a really good point. Um, I, I sometimes think of it in terms of civic maintenance in the same way that you have to take care of your home, you have to mow your lawn, you have to fix the plumbing when a leak happens. And if, if you don't, and if you lose the ability to recognize when problems have developed and, and you have a diminishing number of people who are capable of fixing problems when they arise, I think that is a concerning sign um, for the future And I do think um, perhaps that if these conversations are not happening, does that mean we have fewer people who will be capable of engaging on any serious level and capable of solving problems when they do arise? Because they do arise.
9: They do arise. And judging by the state of affairs in Congress, I don't really want to comment on the capability of addressing problems. (laughs) Your conversation with Congressman Biggs was quite revealing, right? He wants to talk about um, how much spending we're doing for example it's just one example of a problem that's there uh, and and he, he's not having a lot of luck getting anybody else to discuss it so this is this is uh, an unfortunate state of affairs we do need to practice um, that that was one of the things about the the survey that that I thought about after reading it was are we just not practicing having difficult conversations with people? Um, are we not? Is, is the breakdown of the family contributing to this in some way? Is, is the fact that people maybe aren't coming from that safety of a loving nuclear family where, you know, sometimes your worst critics are in your family. And, and it's uh, it's often your family who can point out to you the challenges that you face in your personality or in your habits that challenge you to do better, right? That's why God puts us in the families we're in. And so, could it be that the fact that people aren't quite, our nation, you know, there's a high divorce rate, we we, children come from broken homes, maybe their parents were never married to each other. Is that contributing to this, this phenomenon that we're not having um, unsafe, so to speak, conversations with people? Are we too much on our guard because of that? I'm not sure but it's
0: something to wonder about. I think that's a fair point. Uh, we do value psychological safety highly now. And that's an, a, a a modern phenomenon, it seems. But uh, rigorous intellectual conversations, critical thinking in which people ask critical questions and, and make propositions and critique other propositions, that's kind of the enemy of psychological safety. And I think perhaps especially on college campuses where psychological sa- safety may be valued most highly, um, these conversations are kind of the enemy of, of, of psychological safety. And so people aren't having them because we are perhaps afraid of asking questions, of being critical right. because it's seen as intolerant and judgmental. But well, another I mean, aspect of, of this study, because these political conversations have to take place in the context of, of friendships and people that you care about. And who are we friends with? I think this is also revealing. Um, 53% of Republicans, according to the study, say they have at least some friends who are Democrats, but only 32% of Democrats say they have at least some friends who are Republicans. Why do you think that matters?
9: Well, that really was an interesting part of this study. That It was remarkable. Um, I think that that it matters that people can be friends with someone and recognize the humanity in people, regardless of their political views, right? Regardless of their uh, of their religious views, regardless of their skin color, regardless of their life choices, right? Where we can see the humanity in every person, and to the degree that that is compromised by, um, you know situations in our culture, like uh, Roe v. Wade and and different factors that have caused us to devalue human life in America and around the world. I think that that may be part of the the answer to this. Um, Another thing I thought about was that I think that other studies have shown that Republicans tend to be um, more likely to be churchgoers than Democrats. And so when you're active in a faith community, um, you are in relationship with people. You have a circle of, of engagements with people, people who with whom you can be friends. Um, I've also seen um, studies about friendship that indicate that when your children are, if you're a married couple and you have children, when your children go to school, you tend to make friends where your children are in school based on the activities that your children do. And sometimes those relationships last longer but sometimes they only last the length of, say, the travel baseball season or the, the soccer season or whenever you're act- actively engaging those people and seeing them at a specific time on a regular basis, which is what we do at church. Right. <laughs> we see right. people at a specific time on a regular basis, and that contributes to building relationships. It's a practice of a habit, right? right. Like practicing the conversations you talked about earlier.
0: Yeah, we have seen other evidence when it comes to voting maps and voting patterns that uh, there are more bubbles on the left than there are on the right. The The blue parts of our countries, and which is often inner cities, are a deeper blue than the red parts of, of the country where um, in the in the bluest parts of America, there are people who – who genuinely have no neighbors who disagree with them? They all vote <laughs> for the same person. It, it's much harder to find those places in, uh, where, in Republican precincts, for example, where there was no one there who who would vote for the Democrat. So there is there there are bubbles that exist that are that are more red or that are more blue than red. But there's another um, component here: not only the the friendships that we already have; it's the willingness to lose friendships, to end friendships. 20% of Democrats have said they have ended a friendship over politics. 10% of Republicans say they have ended a friendship over politics. So it's it's bipartisan to be sure, but it seems to be more likely on the left than the right. What do you think that tells us about cancel culture?
9: I, well, I think it is, um, it's something that is very much practiced by the left. And we see that in terms of the cancellations on social media that happened by the executives um, in Silicon Valley. That is a very, very, um, very, very single-minded kind of place. I don't think they even realize that, um, that people don't necessarily have pronouns in their bios everywhere in the world. Uh, you know, they're just completely unaware in some ways. And so when you have only one kind of thinking, that is going to be very stunting in terms of have being able to form relationships with people we see that also unfortunately in the educational world where we have one kind of thinking progressive thinking that is informing education schools it's it's um, informing the um, the the sensibilities of everyone in the educational industrial complex and I think that actually is is why um, you'll see in a red place, on the, on the voter map, it's not quite as bright red as the blue places are because those educational infrastructure locations are staffed and run by people who are voting blue. So that's going to impact the, yeah. the level of red there.
0: That, that's a good point. When it comes to cancel culture on uh, universities in particular, a North Korean defector who attended Columbia University has recently gotten some attention for speaking out against wokeism on uh, college campuses. And she was on Sean Hannity's show uh, this week. And this is what she had to say.
8: It's just heartbreaking. I, I literally sold as a sexual slave and I literally crossed the Gobi Desert to be free. And now I thought I, I landed in a country where I can say what I believe and have my, you know, freedom to think. However, now I end up in a country, I have to be constantly censoring my speech. Because now in the name of a safe place, Colombia was told, I mean, told us what we cannot talk about. Yeah. And I am so concerned, like, if America is not free, I think there's no place else is left that is free. And I think that's why it's really alarming to me.
0: So what she says there is that the um, the pursuit of safe spaces and psychological safety is creating the same result as the North Korean dictators.
9: Right. Right. And while she has America to come to from North Korea, where do Americans go when they find themselves on the other side of a safe space or when they are deemed an unsafe person or having unsafe thoughts in a in a quote unquote safe space, I um, I really uh, was taken by her remarks. I'm very very grateful that she spoke up. Thank thank God she was able to get out of North Korea and and it is incredible the sacrifices that people across the world will make to get to our country, the greatest best hope for freedom in the world. This is the greatest country in the world precisely because of our Constitution and the Bill of Rights that guarantees our freedom of worship, our freedom of speech. These are universal values that every human being cherishes. And unfortunately, many countries do not guarantee those rights. We know that we have them because they come from God, right? And other countries depend on the state to dole out rights to their subjects. And that's not the way it is in this country. That's why she wants to be here. And the fact that she is witnessing this on a university campus is really, really disturbing. And the the, the other thing that I thought about was that she chose to come here and people on the campuses are choosing to be in that environment and they are actively suppressing and and canceling students and limiting engagement. I hear so often from students When they're taking classes that are overly political, they feel they say, well, I know I'm going to have to write in support of these ideas if I want to get a good grade in this class. So there's a level of self-censorship happening that doesn't allow for debate because debate is not safe, right, in the safe place.
0: (laughs) That's exactly right. Which is just a really remarkable state of affairs. Meg, not only are they choosing to be there, uh, they're paying a lot of money. And in many cases, they're going to be paying a lot of money for decades to come because of the student debt that's being accumulated uh, in order to get there. Uh, it really is incredible. And I do hope uh, that uh, we, a growing awareness of, of how dangerous this is. Um, is 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 developing in our consciousness, so we can we can solve this. Meg Kilgannon, thank you so much uh, for spending the time to be with us today. Thank Appreciate you. it very much. Thank you, Joseph. Great to be here. And one final fact I did want to throw in: the demographic most likely to cancel a friend is liberal women. Thirty-three percent of all liberal women say they have ended a friendship over politics. What's that mean? Uh, we'll talk about that more. Thank you so much for joining us today. Look forward to joining you next time here.